I believe in eternal security. By that, when an individual has come to truly know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Lord never lets go. He gives us the gift of eternal life, and it is based upon his all-sufficient grace, based upon his wonderful promise. I think also of the promise in the book of Proverbs, the righteous man falleth seven times, but riseth again. And I'm also grateful for the chastening, the discipline of God, because God never lets go of his child. And a child of his can get out of his will, but can never get away from the Lord. The Lord spanks and disciplines and draws. And, and so there's that testimony throughout the, the scripture. Uh, God's all-sufficient grace. Take your Bibles with me to the book of 2 Peter, chapter number 1. If you're able to stand with us. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, I want to read a portion of scripture toward the end of the chapter and then we're going to come back and, um, and look at, uh, at a crucial thought here this morning and I believe more and more as we near the approach of the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan is putting up a final battle and uh, many are being deceived and uh, there's strong warning about that but uh, God has given us uh, a word by which we can stand. Verse number 14 uh, Peter's giving his testimony uh, not long before his death. And he says in verse 14, Knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. But I want you to see this statement in verse number 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. And I want to speak this morning on a more sure word. Whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We're going to look at this more sure word tonight or this morning. If you'll join me, let's go to the Lord in, in prayer. Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for your all-sufficient grace. And Lord, thank you for the testimony of that grace in our lives. Lord, we look unto you this morning. We sure do need you. And I pray that you would be our teacher. I'm always mindful and always thankful of the fact uh, that you know every heart and you know every need. And it's not by accident that any individual is here today. And I pray this morning that you would take your word and by your spirit you would minister it at the very point of need. I pray that God you would direct my words this morning and God fill me with your spirit and help us to be spirit filled listeners and then help us to put into application to be doers of the word this morning, uh, doers of that which you give unto us. 
We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And you may be seated this morning. And as you're seated, I want to go back and just give you a bit of the context here. Go back with me to verse number 14. And Peter says, knowing that shortly I must put off this my, my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Uh, it's evident Peter knew that he would soon die. And it's also evident that as he would approach that time of death, there was no fear in his heart or life at all. It's very similar to Paul's final book in 2 Timothy. Uh, Paul said, uh, the time of my departure is at hand. And Paul knew, like Peter, that he would soon go and be ushered into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, history tells us that Peter was martyred during Nero's persecution not long after he penned this particular book, and he was crucified upside down. They tell us that crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to die in the same manner as his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, had perished, and so he uh, chose to be crucified upside down. Now, Peter wrote this particular book not long before his death, and we know from history it's about uh, 66 A.D., uh, that he penned these words. Look in verse number 15. And he says, Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. And so his goal was to give to Christians God's truths that would live on even after his death, after his departing. Uh, basically, he's saying, I, I don't want you to forget the things that I've taught you. And then he states in verse number 16, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Now what Peter is expressing is I give you these words, I'm giving you an eyewitness account of the Lord Jesus Christ. For three and a half years, the Lord uh, Peter had walked with the Lord, uh, one of his disciples, uh, Peter had experienced the miracles of Jesus. He was present when Jesus spoke the word, and the lame were made to walk, and the blind made to see, and the deaf made to hear. Uh, Peter was on that boat in the midst of the storm when that boat was almost sunk, and all hope that they would be saved was then gone. And, and Peter witnessed uh, the words of the Lord, Peace, be still. And there was a calm. Peter saw the miracle of Jesus walking on the water, and Peter himself walked upon the water toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter was present at the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus taught and preached the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. Peter heard it with his own ears. Uh, Peter witnessed the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he witnessed as Jesus was taken down from that cross and placed in the tomb. But Peter witnessed the resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Death could not hold him. Uh, Peter was there when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. He watched as the Lord Jesus disappeared into the skies. He said, I was an eyewitness of those things. He gives an example in verse number 17. He received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from excellent glory. This is my beloved Son whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. But Peter is expressing, I was present with Christ on the mount of transfiguration. I saw his glory. I saw it with my own eyes. 
I heard that voice from heaven with my own ears. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Do you see, Peter is an eyewitness. He said, I heard this. I witnessed this. I saw this. But look in verse number 19. He says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. That's what I want to preach about this morning. A more sure word. Peter's talking about God's written word, the Bible. Peter states, I, I was a witness of the glory. I saw it with my eyes. I heard the voice from heaven. I heard it with my own ears. But I've got something even better for you. I've got God's word. See, what Peter is expressing, a vision or a dream, might be wrong. I might have had an illusion, misunderstood some things. Maybe I ate pizza late at night and drank a bunch of Pepsi. And my mind was a little bit cloudy. That could have happened. I might have missed some things. But he said, there's no mistaking God's written word. It's a pure word. It's an undefiled word. It's an unchanging word. It can be trusted. It's an anchor for the soul. Now, I'm preaching this this morning because this is so very important. We're living in a day of confusion and and many are looking for dreams or visions, and some are looking for further revelations. They're looking for a new prophet, a new prophecy, a new teaching, uh, something to store their feelings or their emotions. And uh, the problem is feelings come and feelings go, and feelings can be deceiving. And many feel saved, and then they feel lost, and then they feel saved again. And, and they're back and forth, and like a, a, a ship tossed upon an ocean wave. And there's uncertainty all of their lives, kind of like the young man that went to H.A. Ironside. And he says, one day I, I feel saved, and one day I, I feel lost. And he says, I, I feel like I'm out on the, the sea, and, and the waves are roaring all around me, and I'm going up and down, and I'm bobbing back and forth, and I feel as if I'm almost to drown. And H.A. Ironside very wisely said to the young man, he said, young man, just let your feet sink down below you. and You're going to find that just below your feet is a rock. And that rock is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can rest your eternity upon that rock and upon his word and upon his promises. See, Peter warns, if you go on to chapter 2 and verse number 1, Peter warns about false prophets and false teachers. He said there were false teachers also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And this is a strong warning that Peter has given. So he says to these that will hear this word, we have a more sure word of prophecy. We have a complete revelation. We need not add to it or take away from it. We can build our lives upon God's word. And we can build our hope and our future upon God's promises. 
I recently taught in our adult Sunday school class about the Word of God and how we got the Bible and how we came to the King James Bible. And uh, we taught about God's Word and the fact that we don't need to correct it, that we have an inspired Word of God that God has preserved from this generation and even forever. And the more I studied the Bible, the more I read the Bible, the more convinced I am this Bible is God's book and it's different than any other book that has ever been penned. Uh, The same God that put the stars in the sky is the very God that gave us the Bible this morning and this Bible can be trusted and depended upon with our very soul, our very life. We have a more sure As I look through this passage of Scripture, this is a more sure word because it's a God-given word. This Bible is not man's book. It's God's book. If you look in chapter 1, verse number 21 of 2 Peter, here's what we read. He said, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. This is not God's book. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. I want you to keep your place here in 2 Peter, but go with me all the way back into the Old Testament to the book of Jeremiah. We can find many illustrations of this, but I want to go to Jeremiah chapter 1 just to illustrate what God is expressing. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You'll notice in chapter 1, this is the call of God upon Jeremiah. And we read in verse number 4, Jeremiah 1. And then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, This is not God's word, this is or man's word, this is God's word. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, O Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But notice this, the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee. Whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces. I am with thee to deliver thee. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. Now this is just one illustration. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. God gave his word through his prophets, through his men. Like Peter, they were eyewitness accounts of God and of his presence. And so man's books, man's words are fallible, but God's book and God's word is infallible. The words of men fall short, but the words of God are eternal in the heavens. God's word are infallible. They're pure. They're without error. My friend, the God that gave the Bible is all-knowing. He's all-wise. He's all-powerful. God is perfectly holy, and the God that gave the Bible cannot and will not lie unto us. We can depend upon God's word. It's a God-given word. I want you to go back to the New Testament, this time to 2 Timothy. And a very familiar passage of Scripture, 2 Timothy, chapter number 3. And we read of the Word of God, of the Scripture. Verse 16, all Scripture 
is given by inspiration of God. All scripture, the 66 books of the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, it's given by inspiration, literally means it's God-breathed. It's unlike any other book that has ever been penned. And he says of this scripture, it is profitable for doctrine. Doctrine is what we believe, for reproof, for convicting us where we're wrong, for correction, for helping us to get right what is wrong, and for instruction in righteousness, helping us to keep the right path. He says all scripture, this Bible is given inspired, God breathed for you and for your profit. It's profitable. Uh, example, look in verse number 15 of 2 Timothy 3. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. See, one of the major purposes of the word of God is to point the way to God, to point the way to a personal relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, salvation can be anchored firmly in God's Word. And friends, you're not saved because you feel saved. You're not saved because of man's philosophy. Religion cannot save you. It's not a hope-so salvation, but you can have God's sure Word of salvation. You can know that you know that you know that you're saved, anchored in God's Word. God's Word never changes. Your feelings can come, your feelings can go, but the Word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we have a sure word because it's a God-given word. Now go back to 2 Peter. That sure word in 2 Peter chapter 1 means that it is an accurate word a more sure word. You see, God's word is accurate. It's sure. It's without error. There's no need for correction. You realize that the Bible is accurate in every aspect? The science of the Bible is accurate. There is the battle today that rages creation versus evolution. Well, we have a sure word God said that he made it all from nothing. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and that's accurate science. And we talked in Sunday school that God made life, and science cannot reproduce life. And God made everything to reproduce after its kind. And apples produce apples, and peaches, peaches. And you can have white peaches, and yellow peaches, and flat peaches, and round peaches, but they're still peaches. And and you can have big pigs and little pigs, and you can have big cows and little cows and big horses and little horses, but God has made everything to reproduce after its kind, and each species reproducing after its kind. Friend, that's accurate science. God made everything from nothing, and I learned in my earth science class that matter neither increases nor decreases. It neither increases nor diminishes, and it's God that made it all from nothing. That's accurate science. The science of the Bible is accurate. The history of the Bible is accurate. We read about a flood in the Bible. I was walking up on top of the hills right back here behind the church and found a little seashell. How can that be? Well, the Bible tells me that one day this entire world was underwater. You see, God, the, the history, the 
the history of that Bible. Uh, we read about a nation, Israel. You're witnessing a miracle before your very eyes today right there in the land of Israel. As God has raised up that nation, uh, the wars of the Bible, the history of the Bible, the more you realize the more we dig out of the ground, the more we find the Bible to be true. Do you realize there has not been one archaeological discovery that has ever contradicted the Word of God? Everything that's been dug up out of the ground has verified the very Bible that we read because the history of the Bible is accurate. We talked about the morality of the Bible this morning. The morality of the Bible is accurate. The Ten Commandments that God gave, the moral law penned upon the heart of man, and history verifies that peoples that follow that moral code of God are blessed of God, and peoples that uh, destroy that moral code of God face the judgment of God. Uh, the prophecies of the Bible are accurate. Uh, we read from the book of Jeremiah. Uh, about one-third of the Bible initially was prophetic. The book of Jeremiah was largely prophetic. Many of the prophecies that Jeremiah penned have already been fulfilled. Now, Jeremiah penned them before they happened, but they happened in the very minute detail in which Jeremiah gave them to us. You read the book of Daniel that was penned many years before most of those events happened. It's like reading a history book. We can look back with hindsight on what Daniel looked forward to. It was a prophetic book and there are still a few of the prophecies of Daniel that are going to soon come to pass. I mentioned that Israel is a miracle nation. Uh, the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, over 330 prophecies miraculously fulfilled in minute detail. Uh, many of the prophecies now relating to Israel and the second coming of the Lord are beginning to happen before our eyes. We have a more sure word. It, it's a God-given word. It's a sure word, an accurate word. And as we talk about this more sure word, it is an unchanging word. Uh, things of this world can be very uncertain, can't they? Peter says, I saw the glory of the Lord. I was an eyewitness. I heard it from heaven. But I could have been wrong because men are fallible. Uh, as we said, feelings can be wrong. Feelings can change. People can lie to us and deceive us and people can change. And Paul warns, but though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel, let him be accursed. And there can be false teachings and false prophets. And we have many false prophets that have deceived many. And I'm seeing this, uh, the deception growing and abounding day by day. But God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. And he's given to us a sure word, this inspired word of God. It's preserved of God. I want you to go back with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 for a moment as you look at this more sure word. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 23, we read of this more sure word. He says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away. 
but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. See, that word of God is unchanging. It's set in stone. It's like its author. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's a sure word. It's a God-given word. It's an unchanging word. It's an accurate word. But now I'm going to get to preaching. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1. And verse number 21, or verse number 19. Because this word comes from God, it's a word worth living by. He says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, but notice this, whereunto you do well that you take heed. You see, if this Bible comes from God, individuals that take heed to this Bible are going to be blessed. Because this Bible comes from God, it offers true salvation. It offers victory and blessing for those that will take heed, for those that will follow. In Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinner, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Why? Because he takes heed to the word of God. That's the power of God's word. Listen, this morning, individuals that build upon God's word are going to be blessed. Families that anchor in the word of God will be blessed. Nations that follow God's word will be blessed. He says here in verse number 19, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Psalm 119 verse 105 states, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This world is a very dark place and it's growing darker by the day. But God's word brings light wherever it shines. We have in our library just a little book and parents, I would encourage you to make use of this and use this in your homes in family devotions. It's called The Price of a Coconut. It tells the story of a young man that uh, wanted a coconut so very badly, and I'll shorten the story up, but instead of buying a coconut, he, he felt led of the Lord to take the dime that he would have purchased the coconut with, so you know how long ago it was. He took that dime and instead purchased a Bible. And then the Lord impressed him to give that Bible to another young man. The young man that he gave the Bible to took this Bible home to his family. The father in that home began to read the Bible to the family. That entire family uh, then was converted to the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Word of God. And then the story goes on. The young man that had received the Bible then became a missionary uh, taking the gospel uh, to the uttermost parts of the world. That's the power of this book. Uh, in the 1700s, this took place. 
I think it was 1700s, maybe the 1800s, but it was a long time ago, uh, right here in Chimayo, New Mexico. Uh, there was a farmer that was burdened to have a Bible. And he wanted a Bible for his family. And he took a track, and I don't know how much money it cost him at the time, but it was a lot of money. And uh, he went to Colorado because he heard and could purchase a Bible in Colorado. He took that track to Colorado, purchased the Bible with a great amount of money, brought that back home to his family, and right here in Chimayo began to read that Bible and read the testimony of a family that came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior because of the power of God's Word. It transformed their lives. I've mentioned to you uh, purified seven times. We have these available. Miss Jenny has these in the library. It tells the story of the great Bible in England, the 1500s. And by law, there was a great Bible that would be chained to every pulpit throughout England. And amazingly, the power of that Bible as it transformed the society around as people began to read the Word of God. Notice in verse number 19, 2 Peter chapter 1, the statement, Until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. See, God's word and God's seed can be planted in the heart and reveal the Lord Jesus Christ in the life. And may I challenge you to make God's word central to your life, central to your home, uh, to read it, to study it, to memorize it, to meditate in it, to obey the word of God. And God promises many blessings if you will do so. As the word of God said, it's able to make you wise to salvation. It's able to give direction, guidance, like a lamp in a dark world. It gives you the very wisdom of God because it comes from the all-wise God. The Word of God is able to comfort your heart, to give assurance to your life, to give the guidance of God to those that will make it and search for it like hid treasure and make it the book of their life. God's Show word is a word worth living by. But go back with me to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 14. God's sure word is a word worth dying for. Peter said knowing in verse 14 of chapter 1 that shortly, I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. That's his testimony. He had dedicated his life to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his word. And in fact, he says, I am endeavoring to put these things before you uh, to uh, give you the word of God uh, as an eyewitness account. And as you come to this point in Peter's life, he's unashamed. And unafraid to die. It's evident as he pens this book that he has full assurance through the word of God. That he would be ushered into the presence of Jesus Christ. Now you think about 30 years previously. And you might think of Peter when he fled from the garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was arrested. And you might think of Peter that followed afar off. And you might think of the Peter that 
as the Lord was facing the kangaroo trial that three times denied that he even knew the Lord, even cursing. And we would often think of Peter and that light. But after the resurrection of Christ, the Lord appeared to Peter. And it's evident that he gave a forgiveness and assurance to Peter. And in John chapter 21, uh, it's evident that the Lord restored Peter to that place of ministry. Now, as Peter pens the book of 2 Peter, 30 years later, God's sure word is a comfort to Peter in time of death. When it came Peter's time to die, Peter didn't run. He didn't flee. He would face a martyr's death because he had a sure word for God that he had anchored his life in. And it was a word by which he could die. Now we take this for granted. This Bible that I hold in my hands has come at the cost of much blood. Multitudes have gone before us, given their lives, and shed their blood to give us a Bible. We so often take it for granted. I want you to go back with me to Hebrews chapter 11 for a moment. This is the faith chapter of the Bible. And I'm going to give you an example of how many gave their lives for this Bible, for this word. Hebrews chapter 11, toward the end of the chapter, we're reading up until verse 35 of the great accomplishments by faith. We read of men like Abraham and uh, how God gave a son in his old age. We read about Moses and Joseph and we read about Daniel and the lion's den and then we come to the end of the chapter. In verse number 35, it reads, Women received their dead raised to life again, but notice this, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. We read about Stephen, stoned. You see, it's a sure word we're dying by. They were sawn asunder, and history tells us of Isaiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, that was sawn in half, giving us the word of God. They were slain with the sword in the New Testament. We read of James, uh, slain by Herod with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, dens and caves of the earth. These all, having attained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God providing some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. You see, these men died to give us the word of God. I want to read, and I've mentioned already, purified seven times. William Tyndale has often been referred to as the father of the English Bible. About 90% of what we have in the King James Word of God uh, was originally came from, of course, God, but the translation of William Tyndale. 
I want to read the story of Tyndale. Tyndale was compelled to live in deplorable conditions. He was arrested uh, for giving the Bible in the English language. He was taken to a dungeon, to a prison cell. He was furnished with no chair, no bed, no blanket. Only a heap of vermin-infested straw strewn on a mud floor was provided for his comfort. The fleas, the lice, the rats, the roaches crawled upon his body, biting and chewing, feeding on his flesh by day as he translated the scriptures by night as he tried to sleep. On October the 6th, 1536, the execution order was delivered. Tyndale was brought from the dungeon cell, led to the stake. He was chained to the stake and the fire was lit. His dying prayer, heard by all in attendance at the pitiful spectacle of the murder of the saint of God that day, was, Lord, open the, uh, or open the king of England's eyes. Interestingly, within just a few short months of that prayer, God answered as Miles Coverdale's revision of the Tyndale Bible became the first English Bible officially sanctioned by King Henry VIII in 1537. The very king that ordered his death then sanctioned the Bible that he did. Let me read on. This is William Hunter. William Hunter, a 19-year-old young man who was converted to Christ in his youth, was arrested for refusing to attend the Mass. He was threatened and released. His heart was aflame with the hunger for God and His Word. All English Bibles had been banned and burned, with the exception of the Great Bible, and he was chained to the pulpit in the village church. To be caught reading the Word of God without a license was capital crime. William Hunter was aware of that. Nevertheless, his desire and longing for God outweighed his fear of his own life. In the middle of the week, expecting no one to be around the church, he stealthily crept into the church house, made his way to the pulpit to which was chained the blessed book that so captivated his attention. Looking around him one final time to make sure that he had not been followed or discovered, he picked up the forbidden book, opened its pages, began to read. Hours passed as he feasted on the bread of life. He forgot himself and his predicament and was found out by the village's resident bishop. He was tried for heresy, for breaking Parliament's law against reading the Bible without a license. He was condemned to die. He was imprisoned for nine months where he was heavily chained and shackled and survived on a bread and water diet. Now we go to the martyrdom. Immediately the fire was lit, William's brother said to him, William, think on the holy passion of Christ, be not afraid of death. William replied triumphantly, I'm not afraid. Then he lifted his hands to heaven and said, Lord, 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 receive my spirit. And casting down his head into the smothering smoke, he yielded up his life for the truth, sealing it with his blood to the praise and glory of God on March the 27th, 1555. Let me give you one more example. William Woolsey, Robert Piggott, street preachers. They were caught in possession of a Tyndale Bible. On October the 9th, 1555, they were brought to the place of execution and bound to the stake with a chain. Richard Collison, a priest, said to Woolsey, you are quite out of the faith and deny baptism to err in the Holy Scripture despite or declare in what place of the Scripture you do err and find faults. Woolsey replied, 
I take the eternal and everlasting God to witness that I do not err in no part or point of God's book, the Holy Bible, but hold and believe in the same to be the most firm and sound doctrine in all points worthy of my salvation and for all other Christians to the end of the world. Wolsey and Piggott had been condemned to die by a slow burning. Such was the fate of these two dear preachers, Wolsey and Piggott. After standing in the flames, their clothing burned away, the flesh of their feet and ankles consumed to the bare bones, but the fires of death rising no higher due to the green wood stacked around them, their tormentors decided to expedite their departure from this life. Bring the forbidden books, bring their dreaded Bibles that we have confiscated. We shall burn these heretics with their own Bibles. A great sheet was brought by two servants filled with the Tyndale Bibles that had been stolen away from the Christians. The executioners began tearing the pages out of the Bibles, feeding the flames of death with the word of life. Oh, said Wolsey, give me one of them. Piggott desired another, both of them clutching the Bibles close to their breasts, singing the 106th Psalm. Praise ye the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And so received the fire most thankfully. Wolsey called the day of his execution his glad day. Friends, this is a more sure word. It's God's word. It brings conviction to my heart to read about these that so loved the word that they gave their lives for it. My question for you this morning is do you love it? It's God's given word. It's God's accurate it's God's unchanging word. It's God's word that is worth living by. It points the way to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I ask you the question, do you love it to the point that you would die for it? You know, sometimes we're so apathetic as to what God has given to us. I really believe that we're approaching days you're going to need to know what you believe and why you believe it. You're going to need to be anchored in a Bible that is unchanging. You see, feelings can come and feelings can go and emotions can change and men all around you can fail, but God will never fail and His Word will never fail. I would challenge you to read this Bible, to study this Bible, to make this Bible the book of your life. Let God be true and every man a liar. Anchor in the firm, unchanging, sure word of God. I'd like for a moment, every head bowed.